every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout, Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I am the County Clerk in Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host. Eric Faye, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And we are very excited today to have Pam Fessler, who is recently retired from NPR, but has a long and illustrious career in covering elections, and we're really excited to talk to her today. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me and those very kind words. How did you end up working in the elections beat in journalism? Well, it, it started back in 2000. I mean, after the 2000 elections, um, one of the big questions obviously was going to be what was the government going to do in response to it? Not only the federal government, but you know, state and local governments. And um, we didn't have anybody else covering it. <laughs> and I was one of the White House reporters at the time. I had also been covering the census and redistricting. Um, so I was kind of a natural fit for it. I didn't really cover the 2000 election itself, but it was the aftermath. So when Congress started considering the, what became the Help America Vote Act, I'm the person who covered it. And uh, my background, besides before I came to NPR, I worked for Congressional Quarterly, so I covered Congress for 13 years. So I was really familiar with that. And then I just became fascinated by this topic, you know, this whole thing, this, you know, how do you, how do you run as a country, run these elections, all these disparate elections offices with you know this amazing feat that happens at the time I thought you know once every two years I've since learned of course that it happens all the time but it was extraordinary and I'm kind of a a nerd a policy nerd so uh, this was kind of right up my alley to tell you the truth and I just loved meeting all these election officials and talking to people and it was just so fascinating to me so I became the uh, voting and elections uh, reporter at NPR, and I, I never wanted to give it up. I continued to cover other topics as well, but every, it turned out usually every other year, I would pick it up again. I didn't cover it consistently. Very few reporters did. And I, I just would never give it up. Even when I became like the Homeland Security reporter, I became the poverty reporter. This was just something I... Uh, really a topic I loved, quite frankly. As an election administrator, I find myself on several occasions in some kind of setting, like in a, in a courtroom or uh, at a professional function with people who don't work in elections. So I find myself like explaining very basic things about how elections work to, you know, judges when there's some kind of election challenge or just the, nut, the nuts and bolts stuff at the NPR headquarters, you know, whatever that looks like, whatever that is, is is it common for you to have to kind of explain to other reporters? Um, or do they come to you and ask you, are you a resource for other reporters at NPR, other, you know, outlets about how elections actually work? Very much so. I, I have to explain to editors, um, or ha I had to, I think it's actually changed over the years. I think, honestly, what's happened with the, especially since 2016, 
many more people have been focused on the logistics and how elections are run. But, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, I, I really often had to explain the process to people that they just, one, didn't understand that this was something that election officials you know, worked on year round, I mean, and they certainly didn't understand the logistics of things like voter registration lists, you know, how names get on them, how they're taken off them. Um, they would hear, you know, allegations that half a million people have been purged from a list, right? And they were saying, oh, the people, they would get outraged. And sometimes I would have to explain, well, no, that actually is part of the process. And I felt like, so I, I normally had to do that on the air for our listeners, but I did in fact have to do it within the newsroom and with editors. Um, so, which is, which is why it was so great that NPR was willing to devote somebody's um, reporting to covering elections and, and over a sustained period of time, because I did in fact have that institutional knowledge. It took me a while to accumulate it, obviously, but it was very helpful. And then to explain to our other reporters around the country sometimes how things worked. But as you know, NPR is, you know, we're, we're a network. So we not only have the national network, but which I worked for, the national NPR office, I'm based in Washington, DC, but we have member stations all around the country. And many of them have very vibrant newsrooms and reporters. And those reporters, some of them really do cover elections very closely. And so I also learned a lot from them as well. Do you think that especially after so much attention from the 2020 election that there is a heightened interest or has been over time to understand it better? Oh, very much so. I mean, very much. I think there was a spurt of interest after the 2000 elections, just because it was the first time that a lot of people realized, wow, just a few votes can make a big difference. And just a few uh, problems with the logistics can make all the difference in the world. So there was a lot of attention then, but I do think it kind of lapsed uh, through most of the 2000s into about 2014, 2015. But the last few elections, you know, one because of the threat of foreign interference, and then of course this incredible explosion of misinformation, news organizations have de decided to devote so many more people and resources to this issue. And it's entirely different than when I started. There were times, you know, oh, probably for this 10, 15 year period where I was the only reporter covering a lot of this. I would go to NAS, you know, National Association of Secretary of States meetings. I would go to local elections office. I would go to, you know, even covering you remember when President Obama appointed his bipartisan commission after there were the long lines at the polls in, I can't, I can't remember, 2012, I think it was. The opening session of that meeting, I think I was the only reporter, there might have been somebody from the Associated Press. I mean, that's astonishing. Can you think of that happening now? I mean, every single thing that's going on with elections and now certainly after the 2020 election and what's been going on in the, the last few months, there are tons of reporters covering that. And I think it's great. And there are tons of really good, especially local reporters who have been covering some of these um, audits and recounts and, and these allegations of falsehoods. And I, I, I think it's wonderful. And it's one of the reasons why I felt a little bit more confident retiring. 
that there were lots of people who were who were good and and really wanted to you know I, i'd be interested actually in your perspective but it seems to me that they really want to understand how the process works i think there really has been a renewed interest i think there have been a lot of even new or local or student reporters have been wanting to figure out new ways to write stories on it because they want to get in on the action while it's still something that's really interesting to read. One of the things that that is always difficult when we get closer to election is we want to put out good voter education information. It's not very exciting. It's pretty boring stuff, deadlines for voter registration, how to vote absentee and all of that. And those are not the things that are picked up are there ways that local election authorities can work better, especially with local journalists to try to get more educational information out or just build those relationships? One of the things that I've always done at NPR is trying to tell stories through people, through individuals. And you're, you're right. I mean, you're not going to get a lot of attention just talking about something that's, quote, educational. Because in, in a sense, that's not really a reporter's job for the most part. I mean, their jobs to tell the news and try to maybe elaborate for their audience how the process works and why. And I think what's most helpful is when election officials say, come on in, just spend a day with us. Do a story about exactly what we have to do from day, you know, early in the morning till, till late at night. And obviously, it's hard for you to do it on election day because uh, you're so busy or even in the weeks preceding, preceding it. But maybe now. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting. Just it goes through all of the logistics and that this is what's involved. And we have, you know, two part-time people. <laughs> you know, who have to go through all of this mail and we have to sort all this mail and we have to check the voter registration list and look at this voter registration list and this is how it works. I, I think people love those stories. And I think, you know, quite frankly, because of all the misinformation and all the terrible, terrible, terrible attacks against election officials, you know, nonpartisan election officials, I think it's important that you really have to come out and tell your story. This is who we are. You know, we are public servants. We are the people who are trying to make democracy work. You know, instead of always being on the defensive saying, oh, this is wrong. This person said this, this is, you know, this is not how it works. I think you almost have to, unfortunately, added to your other 8 million things that you have to do, you have to sell yourself for what you are. I mean, you know, th there were like amazing stories last year of what election officials went through and what they did. And I think the public would like to hear some of those, but in a, in a personal way. So how you get your local reporter to tell those stories might be a different thing, but I would really offer to have them come in, you know, say, come in and just develop a relationship so that when they do see something that they think, oh, this would make a great story. You already have that re relationship and trust. Uh, one of the things that I have said repeatedly, and I've said it to my editors as well, one of the one things I love about covering elections is I don't think I ever had any election official not talk to me. You know, they, they more that they wanted so much for me to understand what they did, why, and how the process worked. 
And that's wonderful. I mean, you don't get that covering a lot of government activities or anything as a, as a journalist. But this seemed to be one area where, for the most part, you know, the, the, the officials are like, yeah, please <laughs> tell people this is what I do. <laughs> I'm overworked. I'm underpaid. You might not word it like that, but that's basically what you're saying. I'm doing, you know, this great work, <laughs> um, but nobody's recognizing it. I think, I think you have to be more promotional. Because I mean, what you do and what's the big question right now, right? The big question right now is how much confidence does the American public have in their elections? And how do you sell that confidence? How do you address that confidence? We've just had one of the most, the best run successful elections in history. And you have the most people ever doubting that it was a secure, accurate election. So what do you do? I mean, you just have to be, I think, more aggressive in selling the fact that the elect our elections are incredible in so many ways. There, of course, there are problems here and there, but but it's nothing like what people think. Obviously, because of COVID, there were a lot more limitations this past year. But one of my favorite stories was I went up to Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, and I spent a whole day with them. And they let me in the office and just, you know, basically the election director just said, just go do whatever, you know, just, just go talk to people. And from one to some of the volunteers going through it, you know, we, they, they were getting piles and piles of mail just to see what kinds of mail they were getting. You know, the, the, the woman who went through the obits every single day and had this whole system for going through the voter records and, and talking about how when she was going, she'd been doing it for years, going through the obits so she could update the uh, voter registration rolls. But she talked about one, how many more obits there were because of COVID. And the other thing said that the hardest day she had was when she had to uh, update her father's record because he had died. You know, I, I think those things resonate with when people hear stuff like that, you know, it really resonates like these are just people who are doing a job and, you know, they're just your neighbors. Um, and, you know, she's trying to make sure that the voter registration rolls are up to date. You know, so all these people who talk about oh, all this fraud and whatever, you know, this is what's going on behind the scenes. Now, journalists do have to talk about the bad things too, and the problems of which there are. But unfortunately, we have so much misinformation, we have to spend a lot of time now correcting that information first. <laughs> Talking about covering elections, it, it seemed over this 20 year period that I did it, that every election, everybody was sort of anticipating the problem from the last election and working to try and fix it. And then some new problem would emerge that they hadn't thought about. And I always use that as sort of as a cautionary message. You know, we were, we were so worried about, you know, voting lines and then, you know, or the technology and then, but then Russians decided to hack the election. Then we were worried about foreign interference and all of a sudden we had you know, all this domestic misinformation, including from the top of um, the US government. And so the question, and, and which is which are the issues that people are trying to address now? I know nobody is better prepared 
for the unexpected than election officials. But I do think of what is it that's gonna happen in 2022 that we're not prepared for. And I think that that's something that journalists also have to kind of keep an eye open for and be prepared that, you know, everybody may be looking over here, but there might be another problem over here. I really found it interesting how you mentioned that election administrators, at least from your experience, are very open to speaking with, with reporters and, and you in particular. Over the span of your time dealing with election administrators, have you noticed any change in them? And I, I don't know exactly what that means, but have they been more open, less open over time? Or have their attitudes changed? Does it seem like people from different backgrounds? Just wondered if you observed anything like that over, over your time. I don't think the openness has been any different. I do think that election administrators tend to be more, I think there's more of a, a professionalism about it at this point than there was maybe 20 years ago. And I think that's partly just because the responsibilities have expanded. I mean, before you had people who, you know, they were running elections, but, you know, some, some of them had been doing the same thing for years and years and years. And then you had the 2000 elections and then, you know, uh, this acquisition of all this electronic voting equipment. And then you had, um, you know, the voter rate uh, all, 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 with the technology. I think then so those people had to um, acquire those skills. And then obviously you had all of a sudden, you know, the, the threat of foreign hacking and interference. And all of a sudden you had, election officials who maybe never worried about this before having to know what, you know, phishing attacks were, uh, you know, two-factor authentication was. So they had to get a whole new level of expertise. And now, of course, you have the, you know, the misinformation. How do you address all this misinformation? And what I just said, the added um, responsibility almost of having to sell yourself. I mean, that was really never something that election officials thought about much before, I believe. So anyway, what I've seen over the, I think that many election officials have just layer upon layer upon layer about new responsibilities and then, then new expertise. And as I assume as election offices are hiring newer people and younger people, you are getting people who have you know, a broader range of expertise. Along those same lines, you mentioned, you know, you attend NAS meetings and things like that. If any, what is the difference to you when you deal with a local election administrator versus like a secretary of state or a statewide election official? Well, I think for the most part, you know, they, the, the statewide ones have been elected. Um, so they are also partly politicians. Uh, so there is that, whereas most of the local election officials, I mean, some, some obviously are, have, um, you know, partisan, either partisan appointments or, or, or backgrounds, but for, for the most part, they aren't. So you, you do get a little bit more partisanship in, at the state level, although that's another thing, quite frankly, that always struck me, how nonpartisan those meetings often were. There might be one or two secretaries who were incredibly partisan, but for the most part, if they were so collegial. I'm not sure that's going to be the case in future meetings. 
Uh, we'll see. I, it's hard to believe since some secretaries and some states have questioned whether or not the others have run legitimate elections. But in the past, that was always something that I thought um, was quite striking and, and, and refreshing, quite frankly. The other aspect of what I covered was also voting rights. So besides dealing with the elections officials and the administration of elections, you know, obviously there are all these interest groups and um, entities and, and nonprofits that also, you know, had such a role in what our elections laws are and, and will be, and then also, you know, how elections are conducted. And to me, you know, that was another great part of this beat to cover that. And, and part of that, the way I like to see it is, is I would love, to, I love to talk to voters, actual voters, and what kind of, and tell those stories about what challenges they might've been up against um, trying to vote. Because that's the way you also personalize it for the public, why this is so important. You're talking to activists and you're talking to actual voters and and you know what's going on in the local election offices how do you reconcile all that in your coverage when you're trying to point out really obvious flaws in the system when you know what's happening behind the scenes too right so so then i would try to truth squad what people were saying so say, say I'll, I'm going to use the example of purges, you know, that often people would mischaracterize what happened with voter registration uh, rolls was either an intentional effort to try and take legitimate voters off the rolls versus this legitimate process to try and clean the voter rolls. And that was very difficult to explain. But I tried to do that whenever I could. Um, the other thing was, you know, the whole debate over uh, voter identification, right? Trying to make it clear that when we're talking about the controversy, are we talking about just requiring voter ID or requiring some kind of a strict, very narrow list of identifications that many people might not have access to? And then the question of, why was it required? And will making this requirement actually have any impact whatsoever on whether or not somebody could vote fraudulently? To me, it was always the, the most, I mean, quite frankly, one of the more bizarre arguments that somebody who was willing to commit a felony by voting fraudulently pretending to be somebody else, isn't gonna produce a fake ID? I mean, what election worker in this country could identify a fake ID? None, right? And it always, I, it always struck me, and I would say that to some of the, the proponents of these strict voter ID laws, and there would be a silence. And then they would say, well, it's a deterrent. It's the same thing, you know, the, the, other, the other argument that, has just struck me as so ludicrous is the whole argument about drop boxes and the security of drop boxes. How, how are drop boxes less secure than a mailbox? You know, there's like, you know, well, it, it just, it makes no sense. You know, it's like, oh my God, we can't have these drop boxes because they're totally insecure. Well, what about the 8 million mailboxes? 
you know, you don't have somebody watching them 24 hours, you know, so, so it's that kind of thing that I would try. And those, so there's political debates in a lot of ways, but they're also logistical administrative debates. So I would try and explain it as best I could and, and put it in those contexts. One of the things I think you do so well, and really NPR in general, I think does so well is explain things to people. What do you see as the future of the quality of explaining things? Because you said there are there's a there's a rush of interest amongst journalists and news outlets to cover all things elections, but I still don't know that there are many that, you know, when I'm driving to work in the morning that I'm going to hear a, you know, a five minute story from Pam Fessler about how all this stuff actually works. You know, is, is there, is there a positive outlook there or is there work that's going to need to be done to have the explaining things be of quality? I am very encouraged that, you know, especially at NPR, we do have a lot of member station reporters who've been covering this issue, especially this election, I think really well. They've been at, 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 you know, all of these, you know, the recounts, the, um, they've just covered it very, very thoroughly, the legal cases, and, and hopefully that will continue. I, I think all news organizations are a little bit under um, the gun because of, you know, just so much demand for like what, you know, we not only on the radio, we have to write digital stories, we do podcasts. But there's so many demands. So that does make it a little more difficult to go out to spend that time in person, say at an elections office or with voters or out on our voter registration drive and really get to know what's going on. And and to tell the story in a way that is engaging to listeners and readers. And I seriously think that the best way that you can tell those stories is through personal examples and individuals, because otherwise it becomes too um, abstract for people. You have to tell it to them. I mean, at least that's always been our theory at NPR. You just have to tell people's stories and through those stories, you know, get at the broader issue. Like I was thinking, you know, one of my, one of the, my favorite stories, and this is back to the debate over voter ID laws, it was when they were debating uh, new requirements in Pennsylvania. And I think this was probably about um, eight years ago. And I decided to go with these women in Philadelphia, older women, they lived in in like an assisted living place and they had to all get new ID. Um, And they had to go to the DMV to get an ID because none of them drove. And I spent all day with them. They're elderly women. In this case, they were, um, I think, almost all um, Black. And they had been voting for decades. I mean, they were in their 70s, 80s. They had been voted, you know, just forever. But they had to spend their entire day. They had a bus that came to pick them up. You know, they, some were in wheelchairs, some had canes. We, we went to the DMV, the DMV was mobbed. They were, had to wait there for hours. And, and anyway, so the whole story was about their effort to get this ID just to do something that they had been doing for decades without any question, which I think really illustrated like, okay, why are we requiring this? 
And there are people who in fact don't have the required ID. There's so many people who say, oh, it's so easy. Everybody has ID. I don't understand what the big deal is about. And that was a way to try and illustrate it for in, a, in what I thought was a compelling way for um, our listeners. But you couldn't, you know, I, I could have just told a story saying how difficult it was, but without those people and those women and their voices, you know, it just doesn't resonate. Have you ever seen an example of an election administrator try to convey information by using somebody's story, you know, like, a, I don't know, maybe a poll worker or, you know, try to recruit poll workers, use some existing poll worker that's done it a long time? And I have not. Have you? I mean, not I, really, but you're, <laughs> from hearing you now, it's making me think about that. So. Yeah, I know, I know most people are kind of modest. They don't really want to promote themselves, but I don't know. I kind of think you do, unfortunately, but that would be great, you know, to, to do little snippets or profiles of some of the people who you think have done amazing stuff. I wrote a book um, a few years ago and I took a leave of absence from NPR for a year. And I decided to use that opportunity, it was in 2018, to work as a poll worker, which I had never done, but I always wanted to do. And it was great. I mean, it was just, even for me, knowing all this stuff, I was overwhelmed by how complicated it was, but also just how great it was to sit there and have all these people come in and sign in and you register and then talk to them. And then we, I guess they probably do this in a lot of places, but every time we'd get a voter who was over, you know, like 90 years old or whatever, or a first time voter, everybody would stand up and cheer. And it was great. You know, it was just so wonderful. So it'd be nice to capture that for the general public. I mean, I'm kind of a mushy person, so... I get, you know, like teary eyed about stuff like that, but a lot of people do. And I think we have to make Americans sort of proud again of this process. That's really extraordinary. So we have the True False Film Festival in Columbia. It always falls on the Friday before the voter registration deadline for the April municipal elections. And so we've always been open on that weekend for voter registration, just in case, but Though, like, wouldn't it be cool to have a little five minute documentary short about elections that could be, you know, used at those types of festivals or, or different things to just make it interesting? Because otherwise, our stories, I feel like are unintentionally viral. Well, and not even the negative ones, but there had been some story in, about um a TikTok that a clerk's office had done to say goodbye. And now I can't remember what state it was, but it was one of the states that had a very long serving secretary of state, 30, 35 years or something like that. And they were all thanking the secretary for their service and had somehow uploaded it onto TikTok to send to them. Well, then it just became accidentally viral. And so everyone paid attention to elections offices for a second because they were doing this really cute, like heartfelt thank you to our secretary of state's office and people picked up on it, but they didn't do that on purpose. And those are the kinds of things that if we could intentionally do them would be really helpful. I, I do think, I and mean, there's so many creative people around, you know, that would be much more creative than I could think of that, that would know better how to do this. I think there, there was a brief period you know, about four years ago, where some of the secretaries were doing kind of funny 
ads, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek ads about voter registration. Um, I'm thinking of, a, I think it was Delbert Hoseman in Mississippi, Secretary said he was in a boat somewhere. And I can't remember what the, what the joke was, but it was trying to get people to sign, to register to vote. I don't know how much traction that got, but it was a little bit something like, okay, it was just more upbeat and positive and not, you know, as you say, like educational or instructional, like, oh, you need to do this, you know, like eat your, eat your vegetables, you need to go vote. <laughs> but like, this is fun. This is great. <laughs> all of the elections and all of the people that you've covered and, and things like that, do you have a favorite situation that happened? Because I mean, like longtime election mysteries will always have that one election that happened that will stick with them forever. And, you know, do you have anything like that? Probably one of my most favorite things was when I followed a doctor. Her name is Dr. Um, Brenda Williams in Sumter, South Carolina. And she, it was for a story about voter ID. And she worked, she and her husband worked with very, very poor patients, but they always, when they worked with their patients, they always said, are you registered to vote? And they would try and get their uh, patients um, to register if they weren't. And they were very big on getting people to register. And I went with her. <laughs> she used to go into the county jail and register people to vote. And she said, you want to come with me? Come on. She said, I've, I've I registered a whole bunch of people. I'm going to give them their, their um, voter registration cards today. So we went to the county jail because she knew the head, who the guy who ran the jail. We go into the middle of this cell block and there are all these, um, you know, the, the prisoners with their orange jumpsuits on. Uh, Dr. Williams is about 4'11". People were talking, you know, she's just a little one. She belts out this spiritual at the top of her lungs and all of a sudden there's silence and everybody just stands there and waits. And she said, I am, you know, remember last week I came, we, we registered you to vote. I'm here to give you your cards, your registration cards. And she did it almost like a college graduation. She would call up the name. This person came up and she would say, John Smith, you are now a registered voter in the United States of America. And everybody would applaud. And it was amazing. It was, it was just like wonderful. And to me, that's what it's all about. Okay, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. And we really enjoyed having Pam Fessler, formerly of NPR fame, as our guest today. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you listen to the next episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins.